This is Richard Cloutier Reports on 680 CJOB. Winnipeg Police Chief Devon Clunas, Chief for another week. Why did you want to become a police officer? Great question. The reason I wanted to be a police officer truly was to be an influence, uh, uh, impact young kids, uh, set an example. That was what drove me. Let's tell the story. You grew up, you came here as a youngster. Uh, tell tell the story here because I think it's a still a really good story to tell. Well, born and raised in Jamaica, immigrated to the north end of Winnipeg at age 11. Uh, was a very difficult transition initially. Uh, really credit uh, a teacher by the name of Miss Hannah for really impacting my life as a grade 6 student. Uh, growing up in the north end, again, didn't really have a relationship with police officers, but... Uh, really wanted to do something that would make a real difference in our city, set an example. I had never seen a black police officer in the city over the course of the next several years. had the real privilege to meet a police officer, encourage me to apply to become a police officer if I truly wanted to make a difference. And so that's why I applied to become a police officer. I didn't even know how much police officers got paid at the time. I just thought that would be great to see somebody who looks like me in the front of a cruiser car rather than what you typically see on television, us in the back. And that's why I applied to become a police officer. was really fortunate to be one of the first black police officers in our city. How were you accepted in those early days? You know what? I've always felt incredibly uh, well-received within the organization. I think, if anything, sometimes within the public. I know the first couple shifts as I was driving down the street, you would see people's heads just continually turning. And I remember very clearly the day when I realized no one's looking anymore. It became commonplace to see a black police officer. In a Do city. you think there's a difference within the ranks of the police service then, even now, between being a black police officer and being an Aboriginal police officer? I think our racism here is not necessarily at blacks; it's it's indigenous people. I can tell you that I never experienced or, or even saw that uh, displayed anywhere within the organization. They wouldn't do it around you. No, but I think we would hear about it, honestly. Yeah. Uh, police officers are that open with you. Even that, back then? Even back then. Uh, did I think we But have, it was going on. It was going on back then. Oh, absolutely. Like, my head's not in the sand thinking we live in the perfect world that we're ever going to achieve the state of perfection. What I'm saying within the organization, never experienced that type of racism, not to myself or any other ethnic uh, uh, minority within the organization. Uh, and so... Where you do experience that sometimes is within the community. But I always reminded myself that people are lashing out, not necessarily at Devon because he's black or an indigenous police officer. Typically, it's about the uniform. So it doesn't matter who was wearing that uniform. Uh, we're having an interaction, and so they focus on that. And I always reminded myself, so I never took it personally. Maybe that's just how I dealt with issues. My experience when I did a ride-along years ago um it ended up that uh, a young woman who was very intoxicated ended up in the back of the cruiser car with mm-hmm. me. And the two white police officers were just called all sorts of names under the sun by this young indigenous person, just goading them into trying to get a response. And boy, did humor work that night until, of course, she turned and threw up on my shoe. But you That's see, pretty funny too, you must say. Oh, it was. It was absolutely <laughs> at the time. And those two police officers felt really bad about it. But yeah. that was a typical night, yes. a typical shift. No, no, you're right. And, and how, um, how humor uh, got them through that shift. Because uh, if you don't have that sense of humor, it can be very tough on the job.
boy, can it be tough. I would agree. That's one of our strongest coping mechanisms. And somebody who doesn't really understand will sometimes look at some of the things that we laugh at. And it's not sometimes necessarily because it's funny. That's just part of how we cope with some of the real, real deep, difficult issues that we see on a daily basis in police work. You're a man of, man of God. And, and I, I don't want to talk to you about that. That's, that's your that's private okay. life. We, we can talk about that. Well, <laughs> but, but I want to talk about it from the perspective of in the last few years, we've finally seen post-traumatic stress disorder when it comes to the military. And you're a paramilitary organization. And right. early on, I think you saw colleagues and the price that was paid uh, on the job. And usually it was hitting the bottle. And I'm wondering how we're doing and, and how those coping mechanisms are, are doing from the police officer's standpoint now. Because I, I still know police officers that, you know, that spend a lot of time with, with alcohol. And, and, you know, they, they cope because they see a lot of things out there that most of us won't and should not ever see. You are right. You make a good point. You say I'm a man of God, and I don't mind talking about that because, you know, I became a chaplain in 1998, and uh, one of the most difficult incidents I ever dealt with uh, was in relation to two little girls getting run over by a drunk driver, beautiful, sunny afternoon. Hmm. And it was difficult for me to deal with. At that point, we didn't have the type of behavioral service that we have in our organization right now. The best way I dealt with that was, and really I give my wife credit for this, because she called her pastor and he came over. We had a maybe a half an hour chat, and I just realized I had no control over that situation. And I just had to release that. Uh, I had a chance to go to New York after 9-11 to help their police officers cope with what they were dealing with. And very clearly, I recognize just how important it is for us to have that type of deep emotional care for our members, whether it be a chaplain or a psychologist or otherwise. Winnipeg Police Service has one of the most robust behavioral health unit in terms of psychologists, chaplains, peer support members for our people. And so now they realize they don't have to go to the bottle. They have these uh, better sources of help that we have for them. And so our officers are doing much better because we start right at the recruit level and it's there consistently for them throughout their entire career. It's a young service now, though, isn't it? It's a very junior police service, absolutely. And so uh, more than ever, I think they need that type of robust uh, support emotionally and otherwise. Yet um, it's also a more diverse service in the sense that it used to be um, a service made up really where there were a lot of relatives. My father was in the service. His yeah. father was in the service, that type of thing. And those traditions continued. And now from a recruitment standpoint, you look for generally older recruits. Um, and you also look for that, that, that variety to reflect the community. And in that way, it's not the same police service. Uh, and, and Winnipeg is no different from other communities in North America, but it is different that way, isn't it? It's incredibly different from when I started. As I said, you know, when I applied for the police service, I didn't see very much diversity. That's part of why I wanted to be a police officer in our city. Uh, I say it's very reflective to, let's say you go to a school. Now, I go to some schools and you look at the, uh, the makeup of the school. <laughs> wow. It's from all nations. And that's what you see reflect, reflected in the police service. We're, we're very determined to ensure that we do truly reflect the diversity of our city. And we've done a very good job at that. As chief, toughest decision you've had to make? I've had many difficult decisions. Uh, difficult decisions relative to uh, releasing members. Uh, I've had to do that. That is not easy to do. 
I would think those are the most difficult pieces because you realize you're impacting somebody else's future, but not only theirs specifically. I think about their families when I have to deal with those really very difficult decisions. What guides you? Now, of, of course, there's, you know, the city lawyers, the police lawyers and, and, and the union contract there, but what guides you in that? I think because you take all of those. Those are all pieces of it. Uh, there's not just one thing. But ultimately, it comes back to your your moral conviction, uh, the fact that we have to maintain just uh, the, the the confidence that people have in the police service. That's a significant piece. Uh, but we swear an oath when we take on uh, this career. And so we have to stand by the oaths that we've sworn and the standards that we've sworn that we're going to upheld. There is a higher standard if you're a police officer in the community. I believe so. Uh, some people say that's not fair, but also I believe that is what's expected of us by uh, the citizens. And so we do have that duty to our citizens. Yes. What's the biggest challenge that remains as you leave, as you depart? What's the biggest challenge for this police service? I think the biggest challenge is not so much for the service necessarily. I think it's for all of us collectively, uh, just really to recognize the value, the role that police play in community. So the biggest challenge for me, uh, as I look at the police service, I look at the future of policing is to understand that we need to change. We're not just this organization that is separate and apart from the community. The biggest challenge is to keep us fully enmeshed in the community and realize that this is not just about law enforcement. Really, it's about community building, and we can be great community builders. And that means um, places at times on boards of organizations, uh, as maybe ex officio, Mm -hmm. you know, um, Mm -hmm. walking the beat in some cases. Absolutely. Being at that community center. Correct. And uh, knowing the names of all those teenagers. Absolutely. Those are all the things that I've tried to bring uh, to bear in the police service in the last number of years. Yes. The financial end of it, during the budget issues, you kind of came out Mm -hmm. and and said that, you know, we've built something pretty good here. Don't destroy it. Yet my sense is that the person that replaces you is going to have that challenge of trying to bring in a fiscal plan that tries to continue what you're doing but also rain costs in. Do you think that's possible? I absolutely believe it's possible. But again, it goes back to my earlier answer to the question about the challenges is that we need to understand what community safety and well-being is and that we're just one part of a system. And if we focus too much just on the cost of policing, I think we're going to miss the bigger solution, which we need to look at an entire fix in our system. City of Winnipeg is fairly unique in terms of the, the policing dynamics and challenges that we uh, experience here. And it's very difficult just to compare the city of Winnipeg to, let's say, Calgary or some other jurisdiction. We need to know what is the cost of rectifying the situations that we have in our city and then move forward. I think one of your biggest challenges right now is the queue for service that uh, we are now seeing. You get one or two major events, uh, a shooting, a stabbing, and the number of units that are off on that. And then your priority two calls, you're having to make some decisions. You have 150, 200 calls in the queue. Yep. And we haven't seen that probably in about 10 years now. Correct. Or Seven, you, eight years, yes. Or you have a situation where you've got cruisers lined up outside yes. Martha Street Correct. with those who are intoxicated Correct. waiting to get in there. And I think that right now you're just trying to manage as best as you possibly can. How's that going? You have just illustrated exactly what I said in terms of this being a systems approach, which is required. If we simply look at uh, the number of police officers and we cut back the number of police officers, 
those systems are still producing the amount of work that is required. We're not in a place where we can just focus on police and say we have too few or, or too many. We need to look at the entire system and try to address the system, uh, what's driving the need for policing. Are there problems in dealing with those who are intoxicated right now? Absolutely. Uh, it takes up a significant portion of our time. Uh, if we didn't have to respond to so much of that need within the community, we would have significantly more time to deal with the most urgent issues. The fortunate thing is that when the public truly do need us, we're able to be there because of the diligence of our members. Understood. But there are people who are drunk sitting in the back of those cruiser cars and your officers are waiting for several hours to process them. Correct. That's not a wise use of resources. I agree with you 100%. So what are you doing about it? Again, we're trying to work with the other players. It's not just about us. They WRHA, Correct. governments. Correct. But I, I, I haven't seen any progress on that file. There is some progress being made. You'll hear something in the next probably several weeks. Uh, again, we're saying we need to have a collective impact approach because it's not just about police. And if we just focus on police, we will fail. With outgoing Winnipeg Police Chief Devon Clunas, uh, when I look at what's coming down and um, legalization of marijuana, I, I still fear for our kids. I feel for our, our teenagers. I still think that organized crime has got such a you know a stronghold on 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 drugs, and I'm I understand that we need to have uh, better laws there, and that you can't penalize a young person for their mistakes and all that. But um, what's your sense of what needs to happen here from a law enforcement angle? I think we share a similar view on that. I I certainly would have preferred to see a, a decriminalization. Uh, because truly we know that for some young people, the reason why they don't get involved in certain activities is because they do know that it's illegal. And once you open up that door, they suddenly find themselves in a situation that they weren't expecting. Uh, so I certainly would have preferred to see a decriminalization, but here's the reality. So we have to continue with the real strong education of our children, uh, ensure we're really engaged with them, and to let them know that this is not just something that's benign because here are the ripple effects. Here's what could happen to you because you now suddenly find yourself in a situation. So I think more than ever, parents have to ensure they're really engaged with their kids around these issues. And every once in a while, we see the brutal violence as a result of the drug trade in this city. And I don't think it's as visible as it was 10 years ago, but every once in a while, there's a murder that highlights that. And um, the penetration of of, of the gangs um, and, you know, I'll... Not to pick on a on a certain gang, but some of the ones that have roots in China, they are relentless. Mm -hmm. And some of the other gang stuff that you see going on, um, it's chilling, isn't it? It is. And, you know, I really want to give, again, credit to our investigators and our officers because they've done a really tremendous job in terms of keeping a lid on gang activity. Again, I'm not saying that we've achieved a state of perfection. But we've ensured that it hasn't taken root to that extent that we're just seeing that type of gang violence that many years ago you'd be seeing regularly on our streets. And again, that's one of our challenges going forward to ensure that we stay uh, very firmly with our foot on the gas in relation to keeping those, those issues down. Winnipeg is a safer city, though, under your watch, isn't it? I think it's a tremendously uh, safer city. And I wouldn't say necessarily just under my watch because, again, what I've really called us to do is have a community effort around this. And, you know, I really want to also give some credit to Chief McCaskill because he talked about building relationships. 
And what we did was just, we really built on what he started. But it's been that collective impact approach uh, that's really made the big difference in our city. Who would you like to thank besides McCaskill? Because I think there's been some people around you that have really helped you. Uh, tremendously. So if I think about my immediate executive, I have to be honest with you, probably the person who's been my partner the longest in all of this uh, was, is my, one of my current deputies, Art Stannard. Uh, he was previously my supervisor. I became chief and he was just a great ally. When I think about my entire executive, I think about, again, Deputy Chief Dave Thorne, who's just done some amazing work in the community. But if we go back, I mean, I wouldn't be in this position if not for the committee that hired me. And, uh, you know, back then, CAO uh, Phil Schiegel was a, a key player in that. And so I have to thank people like that for just giving me the opportunity because I know not everyone was on board with the appointment, but I hope history will say that it was worthwhile your wife oh that goes without saying <laughs> oh, oh you better on. say it buddy you that better goes say without it saying my bride who's been with me uh from uh, what 29 plus years in this journey and uh particular last three and a half as chief who sacrificed so much and really is one of the great reasons why i am saying it's time for me to step aside so i can have more time with her but so thank you richard you saved me there What's next? What's next for you? Are, are you leaving more. the city? Are you staying here? More. What are you I doing? I say more. I really do believe in the city. Huge passion for it. And so I want to keep driving deep social change within the city. So I say more. So is there a job waiting for you? More. <laughs> we will see what we can do for the city. You'll be the first to know, Richard. <laughs> Devon Clunas, um, a pleasure. Thank you for doing what you've done um, and that's leadership. It's uh, quiet leadership behind the scenes. And it's also um, when you've had to come out and talk to people, uh, it's been a, a real pleasure here because it's uh, you've been able to really, your approach has been refreshing. And I think on behalf of the people of Winnipeg, a simple thank you, sir. Thank you. Job well done. Appreciate it. Richard Cloutier reports on 680 CJOB.